chapter eleven part one of paul clifford by edward bulwer lytton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven i boast no song in magic wonders ripe but yet o nature is there naught to prize familiar in thy bosom scenes of life and dwells in daylight truth's salubrious skies no form with which the soul may sympathize young innocent on whose sweet forehead mild the parted ringlet shone in simplest guise an inmate in the home of albert smiled or blessed his noonday walk she was his only child gertrude of wyoming o oh, time thou hast played strange tricks with us and we bless the stars that made us a novelist and permit us now to retaliate leaving paul to the instructions of augustus tomlinson and the festivities of the jolly angler and suffering him by slow but sure degrees to acquire the graces and the reputation of the accomplished and perfect appropriator of other men's possessions we shall pass over the lapse of years with the same heedless rapidity with which they have glided over us and summon our reader to a very different scene from those which would be likely to greet his eyes were he following the adventures of our new telemachus nor wilt thou dear reader whom we make the umpire between ourselves and those who never read the critics thou who hast in the true spirit of gentle breeding gone with us among places where the novelty of the scene has we fear scarcely atoned for the coarseness not giving thyself the airs of a dainty abigail not prating lackey-like on the low company thou hast met nor wilt thou dear and friendly reader have cause to dread that we shall weary thy patience by a damnable iteration of the same localities pausing for a moment to glance over the divisions of our story which lies before us like a map we feel that we may promise in future to conduct thee among aspects of society more familiar to thy habits where events flow to their allotted gulf through landscapes of more pleasing variety and among tribes of a more luxurious civilization upon the banks of one of fair england's fairest rivers and about fifty miles distant from london still stands an old-fashioned abode which we shall here term warlock manor-house it is a building of brick buried by stone coppings and covered in great part with ivy and jasmine around it lie the ruins of the elder part of the fabric and these are sufficiently numerous in extent and important in appearance to testify that the mansion was once not without pretensions to the magnificent these remains of power some of which bear date as far back as the reign of henry the third are sanctioned by the character of the country immediately in the vicinity of the old manor-house 
a vast tract of waste land interspersed with groves of antique pollards and here and there irregular and sinuous ridges of green mound betokened to the experienced eye the evidence of a dismantled chase or park which must originally have been of no common dimensions on one side of the house the lawn slopes towards the river divided from a terrace which forms the most important embellishment of the pleasure-grounds by that fence to which has been given the ingenious and significant name of ha-ha a few scattered trees of giant growth are the sole obstacles that break the view of the river which has often seemed to us at that particular passage of its course to glide with unusual calmness and serenity on the opposite side of the stream there is a range of steep hills celebrated for nothing more romantic than their property of imparting to the flocks that browse upon that short and seemingly stinted herbage a flavour peculiarly grateful to the lovers of that pastoral animal which changes its name into mutton after its decease upon these hills the vestige of human habitation is not visible and at times when no boat defaces the lonely smoothness of the river and the evening has still the sounds of labour and of life we know few scenes so utterly tranquil so steeped in quiet as that which is presented by the old quaint-fashioned house and its antique grounds the smooth lawn the silent and to speak truly though disparagingly the somewhat sluggish river together with the large hills to which we know from simple though metaphysical causes how entire the idea of quiet and immovability peculiarly attaches itself and the white flocks those most peaceful of god's creatures that in fleecy clusters stud the ascent in warlock house at the time we refer to lived a gentleman of the name of brandon he was a widower and had attained his fiftieth year without casting much regret on the past or feeling much anxiety for the future in a word joseph brandon was one of those careless quiescent indifferent men by whom a thought upon any subject is never recurred to without a very urgent necessity he was good-natured inoffensive and weak and if he was not an incomparable citizen he was at least an excellent vegetable he was of a family of high antiquity and formerly of considerable note for the last four or five generations however the proprietors of warlock house gradually losing something alike from their acres and their consequence had left to their descendants no higher rank than that of a small country squire one had been a jacobite and had drunk out half a dozen farms in honour of charlie over the water charlie over the water was no very dangerous person but charlie over the wine was rather more ruinous the next brandon had been a fox-hunter and fox-hunters live as largely as patriotic politicians paul sanius tells us that the same people who were the most notorious for their love of wine were also the most notorious for their negligence of affairs times are not much altered since pausanias wrote and the remark holds as good with the english as it did with the figelii 
after this brandon came one who though he did not scorn the sportsman rather assumed the fine gentleman he married an heiress who of course assisted to ruin him wishing no assistance in so pleasing an occupation he overturned her perhaps not on purpose in a new sort of carriage which he was learning to drive and the good lady was killed on the spot she left the fine gentleman two sons joseph brandon the present fame and a brother some years younger the elder being of a fitting age was sent to school and somewhat escaped the contagion of the paternal mansion but the younger brandon having only reached his fifth year at the time of his mother's decease was retained at home whether he was handsome or clever or impertinent or like his father about the eyes that greatest of all merits we know not but the widower became so fond of him that it was at a late period and with great reluctance that he finally entrusted him to the providence of a school among harlots and gamblers and lords and sharpers and gentlemen of the guards together with their frequent accompaniments guards of the gentlemen namely bailiffs william brandon passed the first stage of his boyhood he was about thirteen when he was sent to school and being a boy of remarkable talents he recovered lost time so well that when at the age of nineteen he adjourned to the university he had scarcely resided there a single term before he had borne off two of the highest prizes awarded to the academical merit from the university he departed on the grand tour at that time thought so necessary to complete the gentleman he went in company with a young nobleman whose friendship he had won at the university stayed abroad more than two years and on his return he settled down to the profession of the law meanwhile his father died and his fortune as a younger brother being literally next to nothing and the family estate for his brother was not unwilling to assist him being terribly involved it was believed that he struggled for some years with very embarrassed and penurious circumstances during this interval of his life however he was absent from london and by his brother supposed to have returned to the continent at length it seems he profited by a renewal of his friendship with the young nobleman who had accompanied him abroad reappeared in town and obtained through his noble friend one or two legal appointments of reputable emolument soon afterwards he got a brief on some cause where a major had been raising a corps to his brother officer with the better consent of the brother officer's wife than of the brother officer himself brandon's abilities here for the first time in his profession found an adequate vent his reputation seemed made at once he rose rapidly in his profession and at the time we now speak of he was sailing down the full tide of fame and wealth the envy and the oracle of all young templars and barristers who having been starved themselves for ten years began now to calculate on the possibility of starving their clients at an early period in his career he had through the good offices of the noblemen we have mentioned obtained a seat in the house of commons and though his eloquence was of an order much better suited to the bar than the senate he had nevertheless acquired a very considerable reputation in the latter 
and was looked upon by many as likely to win to the same brilliant fortunes as the courtly mansfield a great man whose political principles and urbane address brandon was supposed especially to affect as his own model of unblemished integrity in public life for as he supported all things that exist with the most unbending rigidity he could not be accused of inconsistency william brandon was as we have said in a former place of unhappy memory to our hero esteemed in private life the most honourable the most moral even the most austere of men and his grave and stern repute on this score joined to the dazzle of his eloquence and forensic powers had baffled in great measure the rancour of party hostility and obtained for him a character for virtues almost as high and as enviable as that which he had acquired for abilities while william was thus treading a noted and an honourable career his elder brother who had married into a clergyman's family and soon lost his consort had with his only child a daughter named lucy resided in his paternal mansion in undisturbed obscurity the discreditable character and habits of the preceding lords of warlock which had sunk their respectability in the county as well as curtailed their property had rendered the surrounding gentry little anxious to cultivate the intimacy of the present proprietor and the heavy mind and retired manners of joseph brandon were not calculated to counterbalance the faults of his forefathers nor to reinstate the name of brandon in its ancient popularity and esteem though dull and little cultivated the squire was not without his proper pride he attempted not to intrude himself where he was unwelcome avoided county meetings and county balls smoked his pipe with the parson and not unoften with the surgeon and the solicitor and suffered his daughter lucy to educate herself with the help of the parson's wife and to ripen for nature was more favourable to her than art into the very prettiest girl that the whole county we longed to say the whole country at that time could boast of never did glass give back a more lovely image than that of lucy brandon at the age of nineteen her auburn hair fell in the richest luxuriance over a brow never ruffled and a cheek where the blood never slept with every instant the colour varied and at every variation that smooth pure virgin cheek seemed still more lovely than before she had the most beautiful laugh that one who loved music could imagine silvery low and yet so full of joy all her movements as the old parson said seemed to keep time to that laugh for mirth made a great part of her innocent and childish temper and yet the mirth was feminine never loud nor like that of young ladies who had received the last finish at highgate seminaries everything joyous affected her and at once air flowers sunshine butterflies unlike heroines in general she very seldom cried and she saw nothing charming in having the vapours but she never looked so beautiful as in sleep and as the light breath came from her parted lips and the ivory lids closed over those eyes which only in sleep were silent and her attitude in her sleep took that ineffable grace belonging solely to childhood or the fresh youth into which childhood emerges she was just what you might imagine a sleeping margaret before that most simple and gentle of all a poet's visions of womanhood had met with faust or her slumbers 
been ruffled with a dream of love we cannot say much for lucy's intellectual acquirements she could thanks to the parson's wife spell indifferently well and write a tolerable hand she made preserves and sometimes riddles it was more difficult to question the excellence of the former than to answer the queries of the latter she worked to the admiration of all who knew her and we beg leave to say that we deem that an excellent thing in woman she made caps for herself and gowns for the poor and now and then she accomplished the more literary labour of a stray novel that had wandered down to the manor-house or an abridgment of ancient history in which was omitted everything but the proper names to these attainments she added a certain modicum of skill upon the spinet and the power of singing old songs with the richest and sweetest voice that ever made one's eyes moisten or one's heart beat her moral qualities were more fully developed than her mental she was the kindest of human beings the very dog that had never seen her before knew that truth at the first glance and lost no time in making her acquaintance the goodness of her heart reposed upon her face like sunshine and the old wife at the lodge said poetically and truly of the effect it produced that one felt warm when one looked on her if we could abstract from the description a certain chilling transparency the following exquisite verses of a forgotten poet might express the purity and lustre of her countenance her face was like the milky way in the sky a meeting of gentle lights without a name she was surrounded by pets of all kinds ugly and handsome from ralph the raven to beauty the pheasant and from bob the sheep-dog without a tail to beau the blenheim with blue ribbons round his neck all things loved her and she loved all things it seemed doubtful at that time whether she would ever have sufficient steadiness and strength of character her beauty and her character appeared so essentially womanlike soft yet lively buoyant yet caressing that you could scarcely place in her that moral dependence that you might in a character less amiable but less yieldingly feminine time however and circumstance which alter and harden were to decide whether the inward nature did not possess some latent and yet undiscovered properties such was lucy brandon in the year such and such and in that year on a beautiful autumnal evening we first introduce her personally to our readers she was sitting on a garden seat by the riverside with her father who was deliberately conning the evening paper of a former week and gravely seasoning the ancient news with the inspirations of that weed which so bitterly excited the royal indignation of our british solomon it happens unfortunately for us for outward peculiarities are scarcely worthy the dignity to which comedy whether in the drama or the narrative aspires that squire brandon possessed so few distinguishing traits of mind that he leaves his delineator little whereby to designate him save a confused and parenthetical habit of speech by which he very often appeared to those who did not profit by long experience or close observation to say exactly and somewhat ludicrously that which he did not mean to convey i say lucy observed mr brandon but without lifting his eyes from the paper i say corn has fallen think of that girl think of that these times in my opinion i and in the opinion of wiser heads than mine 
though i do not mean to say that i have not some experience in these matters which is more than can be said of all our neighbours are very curious and even dangerous indeed papa answered lucy and i say lucy dear resumed the squire after a short pause there has been and very strange it is too when one considers the crowded neighbourhood bless me what times these are a shocking murder committed upon the tobacco stopper there it is think you know girl just by epping an old gentleman dear how shocking by whom ay that's the question the coroner's inquest has what a blessing it is to live in a civilised country where a man does not die without knowing the why and the wherefore sat on the body and declared it is very strange but they don't seem to have made much discovery for why we knew as much before that the body was found it was found on the floor lucy murdered murderer or murderers in the bureau which was broken open they found the money left quite untouched unknown here there was again a slight pause and passing to another side of the paper mr brandon resumed in a quicker tone ha ah, well now this is odd but he's a deuce clever fellow lucy that brother of mine has and in a very honourable manner too which i am sure is highly creditable to the family though he has not taken too much notice of me lately a circumstance which considering i am his elder brother i am a little angry at distinguished himself in his speech remarkable the paper says for its great legal i wonder by the by whether william could get me that adjustment money tis a heavy thing to lose but going to law as my poor father used to say is like fishing for gudgeons not a bad little fish we can have some for supper with guineas knowledge as well as its splendid and overpowering i do love will for keeping up the family honour i am sure it is more than i have done heigh-ho eloquence and on what subject has he been speaking papa oh a very fine subject what you call a it is astonishing that in this country there should be such a wish for taking away people's characters which for my part i don't see is a bit more entertaining than what you are always doing playing with those stupid birds libel but is not my uncle william coming down to see us he promised to do so and it made you quite happy papa for two days i hope he will not disappoint you and i am sure that it is not his fault if he ever seems to neglect you he spoke of you to me when i saw him in the kindest and most affectionate manner i do think my dear father that he loves you very much ahem said the squire evidently flattered and yet not convinced my brother will is a very acute fellow and i make no my dear little girl question but that when you have seen as much of the world as i have you will grow suspicious he thought that any good word said of me to my daughter would you see lucy i am as clear-sighted as my neighbours though i don't give myself all their airs which i very well might do considering my great-great-great-grandfather hugo brandon had a hand in detecting the gunpowder plot he told to me again nay but i am quite sure my uncle never spoke of you to me with that intention possibly my dear child but when the evenings are much shorter than they were did you talk with your uncle about me oh when staying with mrs warner in london to be sure it is six years ago but i remember it perfectly i recollect in particular that he spoke of you very handsomely to lord mauleverer 
who dined with him one evening when i was there and when my uncle was so kind as to take me to the play i was afterwards quite sorry that he was so good-natured as he lost you remember i told you the story a very valuable watch ay ay i remember all about that and so how long friendship lasts with some people lord mauleverer dined with william what a fine thing it is for a man it is what i never did indeed i like being what they call cock of the walk let me see now i think of it pillum comes to-night to play a hit at backgammon to make friends with a great man early in yet will did not do it very early poor fellow he struggled first with a great deal of sorrow hardship that is life it is many years now since will has been hand in glove with my tis a bit of a puppy lord mauleverer what did you think of his lordship of lord mauleverer indeed i scarcely observed him but he seemed a handsome man and was very polite mrs warner said he had been a very wicked person when he was young but he seems good-natured enough now papa by the by said the squire his lordship has just been made this new ministry seems very unlike the old which rather puzzles me for i think it my duty do you see lucy always to vote for his majesty's government especially seeing that old hugo brandon had a hand in detecting the gunpowder plot and it is a little odd at least at first to think that good now which one has always before been thinking abominable lord lieutenant of the county lord maleverer our lord lieutenant yes child and since his lordship is such a friend of my brother i should think considering especially what an old family in the county we are not that i wish to intrude myself where i am not thought as fine as the rest that he would be more attentive to us than lord so-and-so-and-so was but that my dear lucy puts me in mind of pillum and so perhaps you would like to walk to the parson's as it is a fine evening john shall come for you at nine o'clock with the moon is not up then the lantern leaning on his daughter's willing arm the good old man then rose and walked homeward and so soon as she had wheeled round his easy chair placed the backgammon board on the table and wished the old gentleman an easy victory over his expected antagonist the apothecary lucy tied down her bonnet and took her way to the rectory when she arrived at the clerical mansion and entered the drawing-room she was surprised to find the parson's wife a good homely lethargical lady run up to her seemingly in a state of great nervous agitation and crying oh my dear miss brandon which way did you come did you meet nobody by the road oh i am so frightened such an accident to poor dear dr slopperton stopped in the king's highway robbed of some tithe money he had just received from farmer slowforth if it had not been for that dear angel good young man god only knows whether i might not have been a disconsolate widow by this time End of chapter 11, part 1